0: This program provides alternate views on the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This program is not affiliated in any way with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Listener discretion is advised if your testimony is tender. You're listening to the In Search of Truth podcast with Marcus Joseph. Episode 4. Original Guilt, Sex, and Polygamy. Enter the concept of original guilt. So this is translated from the papyrus, the Egyptian papyrus that uh, Joseph Smith came into contact with, which um, had some writings of Moses on it. And it says uh, in verse 53, it says, uh, our father, Adam spake unto the Lord and said, why is it that men must repent and be baptized in water? And the Lord said unto Adam, behold, I have forgiven thee thy transgression in the garden of Eden. Hence came the saying abroad among the people that the son of God hath atoned for original guilt, wherein the sins of the parents cannot be answered upon the heads of the children, for they are whole from the foundation of the world. So the entire point of baptism is to be reborn through Jesus Christ. Because when we are born from our ancestors, we inherit curses upon curses we inherit the curse of adam and eve's transgression which causes men to become devilish and sensual and carnal and and all of the worst ways right um that causes us to have greed and envy and desire murder and all kinds of sexual sin that's where all of that comes from but when we are reborn through christ it's a literal rebirth our lineage no longer traces back to our ancestors we trace our lineage now back to being children of God, children of Christ. We're whole from that foundation is what it means. That we honor our ancestors because we are commanded to honor our fathers and our mothers is true. But we no longer are hostage to their mistakes as we're baptized and become children of God and children of Christ. To unite our body with who our spirit already is a child of now because then baptism becomes the only salvation from these curses it is imperative that the baptism you are baptized with has the proper authority from god because if you do not get baptized with the proper authority from god it will not remove the curse of adam from you it will not remove any curses which your ancestors have had it removes none of them, and you are as though there has been no redemption made still. Now, I know what you're thinking, but Marcus, there's so many good Catholics out there and so many good uh, members of different churches and evangelicals and all these people, and yes, I am not denying that, but if you are not truly reborn through authority, you will have to work 15 times harder, in my opinion, you, to keep yourself running from the mistakes of your ancestors and from the mistakes of Adam and Eve you will have to keep running from them constantly and you will never have true rest until you are completely, absolutely reborn through baptism by immersion through the true and living authority of God through Christ and maybe it's funny because maybe that's why our Catholic and evangelical and all of our fellow brothers and sisters out there who are putting forth great amounts of faith right now work sometimes, in my opinion, twice as hard as our own church members who who work so, so hard all the time to stay faithful and proclaim their testimony of Jesus Christ's existence. And so even though they're disadvantaged because they are not perfectly removed from the curse, yet that extra hard work that they put in develops them as a spirit in a way that nothing else could. So me as an African-American, one thing I know about my lineage and my race is that my ancestors, my grandpa, right? My grandparents who were African-American, they had to work 10 times harder than someone who was Caucasian, who didn't have that initial authority in the workplace. They had to work 10 times harder, but because of that, their spirits were made stronger. And so I know that by the time a person who has had to work much harder is given total freedom from those weights, they are spiritually yoked and able to accept truth effervescently. Get it? It's like yoked. It's a gym, but yoked to Christ. The last time I heard a joke that funny was in the 1960s. But God has a plan. He has a way of doing things that doesn't always make sense, but it will in the end. See, a curse is a weight. The whole point of us coming down to mortal fallen bodies was that this is supposed to be a test and these bodies are supposed to be our weights. And yes, this is a CrossFit meet. No, I'm just kidding. But these these bodies, because of the curse, they become weights to our spirit, right? They be, kind of become burdens to an extent because we have to figure out how to control them and handle them. And the, the, the better we get at having our spirits have dominion over these bodies and having our spirits able to tell our bodies what to do the stronger we become spiritually and so any kind of curse any kind of curse is going to is going to be an additional weight that God is giving you because he knows you can lift it right so it's funny how justice works because although justice gives you a consequence the consequence is a weight so that it can make you stronger And it helps you actually to then know how to lift other people's weights and other people's burdens. And that's how that works. There are those people though, who do not wish to lift this weight and actually take themselves and other people down with them. And guess what? Those are today's racists and people who are overly concerned with racism. And I'll tell you why. Because again, If you care about someone else's race, to such an extent that you hate them, you still have that curse of Adam that is in you that you have not been removed from. And you know it, and your body knows it, your spirit knows it, and it is agitated. And if you don't do anything about it, the curse of Adam and Eve will overtake you to the point where you will care about race you will be offended by the mistakes of your ancestors and you will do whatever you can to try and purify yourself, which what racists do is they try to purify their own race. Why do they do that? Because Jesus hasn't done it for them and they now are left to do it themselves and they can never do it. So they'll forever be trying to purify their own race, never being able to ever fully do it. And they will die in hell <laughs> unless they repent, which is great, which is why we, uh, we, uh, we, we like repentance. It's the opportunity to change your mind and, uh, and, and to then be reborn. And here's the thing. When everyone is born, what God says to Adam here is that when they are born, they are whole from the foundation of the world. But as they grow older, because they're born in a world of sin then sin conceives in their heart. So little children are free from that foundation. They're innocent. But as, but as they grow up in this world, according to Moses chapter 6, verse 55, they will begin to be affected by the mistakes of their ancestors. They will begin to be affected by the mistakes of Adam and Eve. And that's why baptism exists, is to keep you free. From that, to return you back to that state you were in as a child. And then becoming as a child then takes on its true meaning. In Matthew 18 3, Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that's what that means. Now, funny enough, we're still going to be adults who are redeemed as children are if we are baptized even as adults who are redeemed as children are, there are still certain characteristics that stay with you that you'd think are carnal, that you'd think are evil or devilish, but they're not. Which I am referring to procreation and sexuality. And the reason why I am is because that being pure doesn't mean being free and and, and completely abstaining from sex or sexuality. Because I've always thought about this predicament of, well, the natural man is the carnal man. And if you look up carnal in the church's uh, Bible dictionary or the church's topical guide, it's always related to words meaning carnal mind, lust, um, not being spiritually reborn. And of course, lust all has to do with the desire for sexuality, um, the overt desire for sexuality. And if you look at lust in the topical guide, it says, see also adulterer, carnal mind, chastity, covet, desire, fornication, which is sex outside of marriage, homosexual behavior, pleasure, sensuality, and sexual immorality. And I hate that they include pleasure on this list because if sex were not pleasurable, no one would procreate and multiply and replenish the earth, fulfilling God's commandment. You know, If, if it didn't have the feelings it had, you wouldn't want to do it. It'd just be weird. So... See, 60 years ago, furniture companies used to use the words pleasure, indicating that their sofas were comfortable. So I don't think that that sofa was of the devil or was carnal. Our definition of pleasure has changed and has become synonymous in, in an incorrect way with immorality. The church actually teaches that sexual thoughts are pure and they're God-given, according to their Adjusting to Missionary Life book under Managing Social Demands, section F. If sexual thoughts and feelings come from God and are pure, then the pleasure that is felt with sexual feelings and thoughts is also pure and from God. But depending on the circumstance, Satan can repurpose pleasure for his own purpose pleasure. If sex is eternally pleasureful, then both Satan and God will agree that it is pleasureful. And Satan doesn't deny that unless he's trying to get you to think that it's not of God, which is the message that actually a lot of youth hear when they hear church leaders talking about sexual immorality. And the opposite of pleasure, of course, is pain. But if we identify pleasure as good, then pain should be bad. Otherwise, pain would be good. And that's that doesn't sound right does it but that's what's happened is i think our, in some of our church leaders they they find pain good you know how many times have you heard we must suffer in this life in order to be more like jesus christ suffering is needful for our progress superior blessings from god are dependent upon our being severely tried and tested suffering may lead us to put our trust in the lord and to keep his commandments Suffering is part of the divine plan and is essential to our exaltation. And my name is Kenneth H. Beasley. Excerpts from my talk, What is the Purpose of Suffering? Hi, I'd like to order one victim mindset, please. If trust is built on suffering, then I've got a great relationship with my abuser. Look, I get it, alright? It's like you fall down, you hurt your knee, you want to go back to mommy. Okay, and then you do it again, and you want to go back to her again. But there comes a time when you just need to avoid the rock that you keep tripping over. But yes, tragic circumstances and empathy does trigger oxytocin, which increases bonding and trust. I agree. And really, the only benefit of pain is knowing what good is. It doesn't change the fact that pain is bad, see? Pain can also be an indicator that good is forming um, if alongside good forms pain. But they still have to be separate in order for either to exist like if you have a growth spurt there's pain but it's good because you're growing still gonna hurt like a you know what though so what about these desires right the desire the need to eat food if we don't eat food you know that i mean food is uh, a part of this cursed land right is sex also a part of this whole cursed thing and yet we know it's god given so when you're free from so when you're spiritually reborn you still retain the characteristics of needing food And honestly, needing sex, needing to procreate, needing to recreate. If we don't recreate or reproduce people, um, God can't do his work. It relies on us creating more people. His work does. So then how do you avoid the natural man? How do you put off the natural man? And what is the natural man then if you still retain those several characteristics, even after being spiritually reborn? And not only that, in my opinion, it comes in more abundance because now you're married to someone. God has commanded us to multiply and replenish the earth. And so it's like, he wants us to have kids. He wants us to have lots of kids. And that's a sensual thing. That's a very sensual thing. There are all kinds of senses involved with that whole process, um, both spiritual and definitely, obviously physical. Pure just means it's from God. I think that it's directly from God. And if sexual feelings are directly from God, then this body, even though it's cursed, it still comes from God. Maybe not the the cursed characteristic of it, that it dies, but the advent of a body comes from God. The design of the body comes from God. And so when we are resurrected, we'll still retain the characteristics and the designs of God in it. Maybe that includes procreation. Maybe that includes sexuality, right? So so we really have to understand, too, what pure means. And if you're struggling to keep your body pure, and if your body's not doing what you want it to, and your spirit doesn't have that dominion over your body, even if you're baptized, perhaps ponder this. Your body is like a child. It will only do what you want it to if you treat it with love and kindness. I do want to touch on the subject of polygamy just a tad, uh, because we're trying to start a riot here. So uh, I have to talk about this. After reading uh, an excerpt from the church website, an article on polygamy going into more historical depth, which is titled Plural Marriage and Families in Early Utah, and it can be found on the church website, churchofjesuschrist.org. One quote that stood out in talking about all of the conditions of polygamy was this. Quote, church leaders taught that participants in plural marriage should seek to develop a generous spirit of unselfishness and the pure love of Christ for everyone involved. For being open and honest about plural marriage, you have one guy at the center is able to have sexual relations with multiple women. Now, of course, we see this today. People glorify it, and they talk about it in shows. In Thor Love and Thunder, Zeus makes a reference to thor missing out on an orgy even so so clearly deviant society is a fan of that right but whose idea was sex was it man's no it was never man's and it definitely wasn't 21st century man's idea it was a heavenly father's idea from the very start And thinking about how each member of a polygamous family in the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints early on in the 18th century uh how they had to act wouldn't that be an interesting test where you are either a male and have multiple women with whom you have these incredibly emotional relationships with that result in bearing children in which there is sexual relations going on or you're a woman and you have to share your husband with all of these other women And you can't be with your husband and with women intimately at the same time, according to the revelation on plural marriage and how it's supposed to be implemented in Doctrine and Covenants 132. And yet to have that with multiple people and still somehow try to love them means that you have to actually overcome your body's natural impulse to become sexually selfish. Where you're clinging to someone and you only want to cling to them And you don't want anyone else to cling to them and the selflessness in that scenario means that even though you have this incredible bodily attachment to a person you have to be able to both have that attachment and detach and be selfless in sharing that person with another person in in this instance that's that goes for the woman the man likewise has to Be able to share himself with multiple people and not just isolate himself to one person as well. I can't imagine for the women that takes a huge amount of spiritual control to be able to do that. For the men, it takes a lot of energy to love each of these women individually and enough to where they do feel loved. And it's funny because some people do it today not because they want to be in plural marriages, but just because they date so many different people at one time and they don't, but they just don't tell. Uh, each person that they're dating someone else too or it's an quote open relationship which is apparently common so, so our society today it just practices plural marriage in secret and without the commitment or openly and still without the commitment society loves freedom of many different choices at the start but then they don't like consequences and that is at the heart of open relationships and affairs and in this article it says that many of the participants of plural marriage even though it was a test Of their faith and a very difficult test it was one of the greatest blessings they've had there were multiple people who had spiritual experiences that confirmed to them that it was the right thing to do um, at that time i would say that the reason why it's no longer the right thing to do anymore is because god believes in rendering unto caesar the things which are caesar's and unto god the things which are god's and u.s law began to prohibit plural marriage and God gave another commandment, which he would not break, which is Doctrine and Covenants fifty-eight twenty-one. It says, let no man break the laws of the land. For he that keepeth the laws of God hath no need to break the laws of the land. Mankind and his idea of marriage, which as we see now has been completely polluted, right? It's just being made into whatever people want now. And mainly now it's, you know, for tax benefits. Humankind's idea of marriage was never humankind's to begin with. Definitely not 21st century humankind's idea. But humankind likes to think that they have dominion on this idea. And they just don't. That's God's domain. So whatever God thinks is appropriate or thinks is good, as communicated by prophets now and in the past in the Holy Ghost, we have to kind of be open to that because we don't know any better as human beings. The way humans do things doesn't make sense to me at all. Uh, it makes zero sense, actually. It makes no sense. In the polygamous era of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, uh, they learned the principle of unselfishness and they learned how to care more about each other than their sexual relations, which seems like something that, honestly, society today could kind of use. See, what the natural man is, is an acceleration towards chaos. The curse of Adam and Eve was an acceleration towards chaos towards death death is chaos right that's what we'll we'll say being very gluttonous for instance eating insane amounts of food and meat that can accelerate you towards a a very chaotic state if you do it all the time being angry right because that that would be your uh, your adrenaline and cortisol hormones going off the charts uh, your anger can accelerate you and other people towards chaos you become an agent of chaos Ooh, harvey dent why so serious it's a batman reference to the joker in case someone doesn't get that and so as you harness the energy of your body and channel it and control its output you mitigate chaos and that's the entire point because otherwise your carnal friends they'll eat each other (laughs) see i'm not a monster i'm just ahead of the curb if we then take this lens to sexuality sexuality is creation it's not chaos but it can become chaos if sexuality happens in a circumstance that leads to chaos such as adultery such as fornication, those different instances that can cause complications in relations that definitely leads to chaos. And the only thing that mitigates chaos is some kind of a promise or contractual agreement, which is why companies have people sign things before they have people do things generally. And that's what marriage is, is it's a promise before anyone does anything. I mean, you can just look at your spouse as a new contractor in a way, and you're manufacturing babies, investing in offspring. It's a monetary asset on which there's very little to none ROI monetarily. If anything, it's negative. And on which you spend your entire life savings together. So yeah, I would like a contractual agreement before I invest in something like that. <laughs> like if someone comes up to me and says, I'll redo your patio for free in exchange for love. And they invest a lot of resources into it. And he's like, oh, no, no, don't need a contract. Don't need a contract. I'm going to just wonder, what's this guy in it for? Does he just like my face? Maybe he's not here legally. Either way, I'd like a contract. And it sounds like he likes my face. And if I break his heart, what's he going to do to my patio? So contracts are great to mitigate chaos. And in church or marriage, we call these contracts a covenant. Like, would you just create something and then just let it go to chaos? No. See, that's the creation of chaos. And that's actually the essence of masturbation. And that's why that act is empty, because you're just feeling, but you're not creating anything that will last. There's no contractual agreement, and that's probably why it appeals to so many people, because you get something without a contract. It's, just, it's like normal Spotify. It's not Spotify premium. Just Spotify with ads. Yeah, you get it for free, but you have to watch a lot of ads. You know, it's limiting. And one would think, well, committing to a music platform and paying them $10 a month, now I have to pay them $10 a month. And that, what is this? There's a cost that's associated with better things. But when you enter into that contractual agreement with Spotify, you now can unleash the full power of Spotify's endless playlists. And that is not a paid advertisement because at this time, at least, I am not well known enough to get any kind of an endorsement from them. Thanks for listening to the In Search of Truth podcast with Marcus Joseph. Up next, episode six, Eternal Perspective.